On the Wake Up Radio presents The Hour. You must remember, the enemy has only images and illusions behind which he hides his true motives. Destroy the image and it will break the enemy. The it that you refer to is a powerful weapon. What is stigmatized? It's a story we tell ourselves. And every story needs a beginning. Your imagined suffering makes you lifelike. Lifelike, but not alive. Pain only exists in the mind. It's always imagined. So what's the difference between my pain and yours? Between you and me? To find a solution to a problem whose answer you already know. It's the hour. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to OnTheWakeUpRadio.com. Sign up for OTWTUBE.com, Uncensored Free Speech Platform. Another grand, grand day. We're bringing back Michael. Michael, are you there? I am, Cindy. Good morning. Good, yeah, good morning, good afternoon, good night. <laughs> All that shit. Uh, no, see, I say, I say that with a purpose. Is it? Oh, you have to do your thing first. Well, you know, of course, we have to state that we do not consent to any interference in our discussion. We also rescind any and all contracts unknowingly or unwittingly entered into. And I say good morning for a specific reason. It's because that's at the moment where when I say that, I feel like that's my most positive moment of just... My my radiating my positive energy at that moment when I say good morning because it catches people, you know, off guard, but it's still, it's my expression, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I'm just getting asleep in the morning, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a happy too time sometimes. Too. That's a happy time for me as I look at the bags under my eyes. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the first part, I called it behind the curtain. You know, it was something you had yeah. said in the last show. And I was like, yeah, we're going to make this behind the curtain. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the Wizard yeah. of Oz type thing, right? What's going on? That's, yeah, well, that, you know, that to me is it's an honor. You know, I mean, I I see my my thing is, is that I, I hope for the best, but I try to plan for the worst, you know. So like worst case scenarios of, and so I tried to pay attention and because I got four kids and I'm trying to watch the way the world goes. And when I learned some of the things that I learned, you know, back a ways, it kind of makes me look at things differently. So I'm seeing all this shit going on in the world and it's like, I'm just, I'm trying to hope for the best, but plan for the worst, you know? No, I totally, I totally get that. It's it's something that we all must do, right? Be vigilant at all times, right? Just because yeah. we seem like we have everything, we still have to make sure and guard it, even our lives, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, the, see, I was thinking about this earlier, and it, it came to the realization that each one of us, you know, we see reality just ever so slightly differently. You know, we could all be staring at the same noun, you know, person, place, or thing, and we could all see it just ever so slightly differently. And so when we look at the a verb, you know, or being happy in a, in a sense of 
each one of us has a little bit different viewpoint on what happy is. But all of us are pretty base when it comes to what uh, causes us to feel fearful, you know. So it's easier to manipulate through fear because mo- you can connect with more uh, more radars. You can touch more bases with fear because pe- it's more common, you know, whereas happiness is more of an an- abstract concept. Oh, I totally agree, right? Look, look at that person. They're happier than a pig in shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and for what reason? So you would you would look and go, man, that's fucking pig shit, you know. And you're just like looking at it, like how the how the fuck could they be happy in pig shit? And then they're over there, like you know, whatever that whatever that pig shit means to them, whether it's the actual pig shit or whether they're transforming it into some other resource or commodity or whatever the case might be. And, you know, it's something that I say to my kids all the time is, you know, the biggest mistake we can make is thinking we know what other people are thinking. And so it's like that, that idea of happiness because it's so random and chaotic and kind of abstract, it's hard to, uh, create the illusion of happiness for the the mass amount of people, you know, and so it's easier to create and manipulate a certain sort of emotional response based off of fear. Because you know everybody, you know, I mean, say you, you go to the movies and just pay attention to people's reactions. You know, at the scary movies, they all jump together, they all gasp, they all, you know, scream or whatever. You know, but you go to a happy movie and not everybody all at the same time is going, ooh, and ah, you know what I mean? No, I totally get it. Now, here's the thing. Totally had a question last time from someone. We didn't get to it. But one of the questions was, can you ask Mike about why Bozo faked going to space? Well... The thing is, is that it wasn't going to space wasn't if I'm if I'm getting the question correct, you know, the. uh, The meaning to me would be the you know, the sort of NASA cover up and the illusion of NASA and, you know, like going to the moon and all that and how travel to space isn't the cover up, you know, because that happened. That happened in the 30s with the Nazis. You know, they created the Nazi bell through a guy named Victor Schauberger, and he created this anti-gravitational engine for the, a craft called the Nazi bell. So it was an omnidirectional anti-gravitational vehicle, and the Nazis tried mounting um, conventional weapons on them but they were concussion weapons, and so it, it created these concussions within the bell that they couldn't control, so they couldn't steer it. You know, they could fire a cannon off of it, but then it would just bounce off the walls, you know. The Nazis used that technology to go to the moon, and the Cold War, space race, you know, all that was between the Americans and the Russians. That was simply to hide the secret space program which the the nazis developed something called the dark fleet and that was if you want to, if you need to imagine 
what the dark fleet was about. Think of the empire in star Wars. You know, they were patterned. The empire was patterned off of the dark fleet as far as conceptually with the dark uniforms and, you know, the overwhelming numbers and that kind of rigid, uh, military or militaristic kind of, um, attitude, you know, and, then the Americans created uh, Solar Warden, which is the uh, Americans' response to that deep space interstellar travel and sort of competition to keep an eye on Dark Fleet. So the whole like interaction between the Russians and the Americans during the quote-unquote space race was just a cover for the secret space program and diverting funds and you know, building Solar Warden. So what they showed us on TV, that was the, you know, Hollywood production. That was the, what's his name? The guy that, uh, the guy that had to run off to Russia or wherever because he was convicted of molesting kids or whatever. It's Ro- it was Roman. Was it Roman something? Yeah, I think so. Some Roman Polanski. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Roman Polanski who was the who was the director behind all of the staged footage that they showed to the American public. You know, that was all the cover up was that what they were showing people was, you know, this lone ship, the you know, the accomplishment of mankind that, you know, up until this very moment they staged this great emotional feat of mankind in an attempt to sort of unify and also introduce the idea of space travel, you know, because they have, you know, through DARPA and some of the research programs in the military and born out of the, the necessities of the secret space program. can't believe this. That, they're, sh- they're shooting a little memory uh, relapse. Something. They're doing something. Oh, no, they are. Have you been sleepy? Have I been sleeping? Yeah. No, have you been sleepy throughout the day? Um, yeah, well, a little bit here and there. I'm not a sleepy person, but I've been sleepy for a couple of days, and I'm like, okay, birthday's <laughs> not no time soon, so that shouldn't be kicking in right away. Uh, yeah. You know, like... I've just been sleepy, and then when I talk to other people, they're sleepy. Like, like I was working, and I had the phone in my hand, and I woke up. I was sitting up. I had a crick in my goddamn neck. But, like, I just thought, drop a slip. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not narcoleptic or anything like that. And I goes, oh, they're spraying something on us. Why am I so sleepy? Yep. And then I had a <laughs> yoga class I was supposed to do, and I said to her. Yeah, and you just didn't feel like doing it? I didn't, but I, I again, I wrote her and I said, I don't want to let you down. So what I started to do was, you know how the, you have the pistachio and you got to break it open? So I figured that yep. would keep me busy until it was time <laughs> for yoga class. So then she was like, hey, do you mind switching it out? And I went, oh, my God, I didn't want to <laughs> let you down. I was tired. She said, me too. I said, oh, my God, we feel the same way, but we didn't want to, like, yep. upset each yep. other. And I was just like, yes, please get sleep because I want to get sleep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I've been, you know, I don't, but to my schedule, though, you know, because some of the ways that I work, sometimes I'll I'll be up ass crack of dawn cracking away at something and sometimes i won't be getting home till you know midnight and it's just it varies from day to day i never know really for sure 
what time I'll be getting home or what I'll be doing or what. And for me, it's a more normal course of action to, you know, come home from work or to have an opportunity here or there to where I'm snoozing in the chair or whatever. I fall asleep quite often sitting up like that, you know, but they've been, I can, I can tell you, see, I keep an eye on like the, you know, the heavy days and that. What I've observed is that when we have those really heavy spray days, then people's attitudes are different. You know, we get those heavy chem days and they ramp up the the cell towers and, you know, they get that radiation kicking and people just start losing their shit, you know. And facts, facts. I've seen it. I'm just like, why is this person acting like this? Do you get what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, just something is going on. Yeah, and it's like it's like they're they're responding they're responding to something like most unreasonably, you know, it's like the the in the most unreasonable form or fashion to be able to respond to an event and they're behaving that way, you know. And that usually happens on those on those heavy chem days. Like here, it's raining now, but we had you know, yesterday and Day before, we had quite a bit of chemical activity in this area, and now it's raining. And you know, the thing that really sucks is that what they're pumping into that into that atmosphere all those all those chemicals. You know, they're going into the grand consciousness of the existence here on this earth. You know, I was telling my son that it's all it's all in the water. There's a, a researcher and a physicist, his name is Nassim Haramein, and he did an interview, I think he was in some global conference where they were discussing shit that, you know, physicists and deep thinkers discuss, right? Well, in this interview, he was talking about a French doctor had discovered his patient only had about 10% the gray matter of the normal human being. But his patient was living an actively normal life. He was a, virtually a perfectly normal person. And the only reason they found out about his brain matter is because he was in a car accident. He had to have, what do they call it when they have to scan the brain, the CT scan or yeah, whatever? Yeah, And so he had that scan, and that's when they discovered he only had 10% of the gray matter. But he, he had the rest of the cavity was filled with water. So he began this series of, you know, this research and discovered that the information that's expressed in the DNA is carried in the water that surrounds the DNA. Right. So in, in this particular patient, then he discovered others later on. I don't know how many, but. And through his study, he found that these people in their, what would be their normal DNA strand, it's like there was a jacket or a coating that was expressed, but the DNA was missing, you know, so the physical matter, but the information was in the water is the point of what Nassim was talking about. And then when you consider that with the water carrying all the information, you know, water is one of those recyclable or recycled materials. You know, it never goes away. Water, it's constantly recycled from the sky to the earth and back again, you know, but it never 
it never diminishes. It never just disappears. It doesn't go away, but it captures. And through the work of Dr. Masuro Emoto, you know, he did the, uh, the cymatics studies with the filming the ice crystals that form when water is exposed to various vibrational frequencies. And he's the one that did the experiments with, uh, he would set a container between speakers playing loud, you know, rock and roll music. And then he would freeze the water and he would able, he was able to photograph the ice crystals forming in the ketography or cartography, whatever they call that that technology, but he was, he's able to film it. And what he found is that, you know, the, the water molecules respond to that vibrational stimulus or stimuli. And whether it's the vibration corresponds with the pattern in the ice crystals. And there was a German study that showed that water that surrounds certain plants, when they're able to freeze that water, the molecules within that water, the ice crystals that form, express themselves in the shape of that plant. I forget what what the YouTube video was called, but if you if you research Dr. Masuro Emoto, is this the same guy that did? Because someone else did something with the water, where they 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 spoke to the water, right? So they was like, "I love you," and then they yeah. and they put like rice grains in it, and then they had another cup, and it was like, "I hate you." And then you saw the disparity of just like this clean, fresh water, and the rice never rotten, and then you the the, the hate cup was exactly. just like brown and mildew and moldy and just ugh. yeah yeah. Yeah, well, he did the one. He did ones where, yeah, he used rice, and he also uh, used just people, you know, yelling at the water, and what we would consider to be, you know, dirty or foul or negative, anything in that sort of regard. The ice crystals that formed were like chaotic, and what we would consider ugly or disfigured or, you know, sort of disenfranchised where it's just a mess, you know, and the ones that we would consider to have been adorned or adored, I should say, where they were, you know, the vibrational frequency is what we would consider, you know, beneficial or good or positive, you know, those ice crystals and those examples that formed were, you know, symmetrical and what, typically you would consider as beautiful in their patterns and you know so the the disparity between the two in the examples it's really it's really intriguing because it provides an example of exactly how you can how you can manipulate the water that surrounds you and in doing so when we consider that even our thoughts are vibrational frequencies right when you're in the shower and you've had a really hard day, you're irritated, you're frustrated, you're just, you know, you're just in a pissy mood and you're taking that shower just because it's been such a shitty day and you're just trying to wash it all away. If you can remember in that moment to remind yourself that what you're washing away is it's going down the drain. It's being captured by the water that is washing it away, right? And what it's doing is it's capturing that negative energy and negative vibration, and then it's collecting in the drain and going down 
And all the water that goes through your house and then it goes out to the sewer, I mean, unless you've got a septic, but then if you've got a septic, it'll go back to the, it'll go back to the water treatment facility at some point, you know, because either you're going to, or it's going to leach into the earth. Well, normally it's got to go back to the water treatment facility. And so it, it, all the water that drains out of your drain goes to some collection point somewhere and it collects in with all of the water that's going to be treated and sent back out. And so all of your negative stuff that you're washing away, if you can remember in that moment that it's going to that collection point and when it gets to that collection point, it can then adversely affect the rest of the water that's going to be dispersed through, you know, so you could, you could in essence by unknowingly shedding all of your negative, you know, shitty day into the water and it's capturing it. And then you're sending it to the collection point where it's, for lack of a better term, it's contaminating the, the, all the collected water from all the other homes in the city or in the state or in the country or the world, whatever. But it goes to that collection point, but it remembers everything that it collects. And then it's, you know, the treatment plant again, and then it's in some area where it gets evaporated or it goes into a lake or, you know, and then it evaporates and it goes up into the sky and it becomes rain and it falls somewhere else. But it still has an imprint of that change that was made to it. And the changes don't replace one another. They're added to each other. That's the infinite capacity of that cycle, you know, that system. But Mike, right? You know what? When you're explaining it to me, right? Because I'm like a whole five-year-old when I listen to you. I'm taking it all in. It it reminds me of, let's say you believe in reincarnation. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounds like. Well, that's, you know. It's temporary. You come, you die, you get put back in the ground, you come back, you come back as a baby, you do it again, you fucked up, okay, I can't ascend, I didn't learn that lesson, you go back in, you come back again, you come back toxic, fuck, you do it again, I don't fucking know. You know, <laughs> it just, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just not repetitive, but now here's the two folds, right, and we're going totally off script from everything. When you were talking about the water, I thought about the fact that people who sit in front of the TV all day, they're being programmed, right? Like the water yeah. was being programmed. And then yeah. I thought about, you You talk about the can, water sewage, and I thought about all 63% of the people that got vaccinated, we all use the same system. Yeah. And here's the thing. We had to deal with the fluoride and Paxil and the Prozac and all the shit and, and who had to flush drugs down the toilet so they wouldn't get busted. <laughs> and do you know yeah. what I'm saying? So now we've yeah. added something else, which means it's almost like we have to terraform ourselves. Exactly. Well, see, my I thought for a moment, like, uh, during the height of the China plague, when the hysteria was at its greatest, you know, and it struck me for a moment that perhaps what they're doing by pushing the vax and trying to you know inoculate in their minds everybody that they can perhaps they are going to as a last resort crack open the hidden secret of you know aliens or ets or you know i thought for a minute because of 
you know, knowing about Project Bluebeam and their sort of plan for it. However, for me, learning about the Anunnaki, it, it, I see things so much differently than most people do. We were talking about the lily waves, right? People sitting in front of the TV and they were getting that sort of energy directed at the the fluid in their bodies that have, has been affected by this mass inoculation. Right, and, because we're made of water, right? Right. Not just and stardust. So there was, yeah, not just stardust, right? Well, there's a, there was a uh, an engineer, I think, in, or a researcher. His name was John C. Lilly, and he he discovered what's called lily waves. And lily waves are transmitted at 60 hertz. 60 waves per second or whatever it is, the the measurement for this particular type of oscillation of the, the, the power. And his name was John C. Lilly, and he discovered these waves could uh, assist in, in training the brain. So it, it, he discovered that it can put the brain from any of the various uh, states of... Um, activity they can be in the lily waves can be used to bring it back to i i can never remember what the scale is but you know like alpha i, I forget exactly what the ranges are like, but like your alpha your, your beta your delta yeah and then the theta and but i think the alpha is like the lowest if i can remember if i remember correctly but like the sort of the lowest functionality or the kind of the dimmest you, sort of stay where you are alpha uh-huh. is the lowest meanwhile men call themselves alpha uh, 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 just wanted to point that out yeah. <laughs> well i think it's I, I think alpha is the lowest um you know it could be theta but anyhow the it's the lily waves they discovered can entrain the brain to sort of uh, begin to respond at the lowest at the lowest vibrational frequency so to speak so like when you're in the like when you're in the zone you know your brain is operating at its highest function when you're in a certain state your your brain is operating so it operates between i think it's 3 and 20 hertz right and when you're at the sort of at the higher end the 20 hertz range it's a certain zone, so you like you know you might be operating in theta, right? But when you're from like zero to five, or zero to whatever, you know, uh, that could be your alpha state, and that's where you're like a zombie in front of the TV, and that's why people say I'm gonna sit in front of the TV and veg out, right? Because they get into that vegetative state, they discover that that's when the mind is you know really quite pliable to sort of subliminal messaging or indirect persuasion, so to speak. That's what the, when they first started using television, because your, your home, it actually uh, oscillates at 60 hertz. That's what your electrical system uses. So it's continually you know, pumping out these lily waves that kind of put a person's brain naturally into a, like a lowered state, a lowered uh, range. And... So then that's when they started filming or showing TV, like the 
what they tell you in the beginning where it shows the you know, where it does the countdown and it looks like a, almost the hands of a, a clock, but it's just a dial and it's just a counter that's counting down. And they say that's supposed to be syncing the video to the sound. Well, that's basically how long it would take from the time you turned on that program. That would it would take about that long for the person to be entrained by the lily waves. It says the lily wave can be used to transmit mind control via ultrasonic 1 to 10 megahertz and electromagnetic waves. Yeah, electromagnetic waves, the the EM waves through the, you know, the what we see through the TV. But now the the real trick is that they're making a conversion not only in the carrier system for the cell towers and that going from 4G to 5G, but they're also replacing the overall Wi-Fi band. They're replacing it with something they're calling Y-Gig, and that's supposed to be sort of in conjunction with the 5G rollout. But these frequencies or these bandwidths that they're adopting, they're presented in such a way and they're at such a level in the broadcast wave that the one causes the water molecules in the body to turn on a 90 degree angle and heat up. So it's more difficult for the body to absorb the water and to separate and to gain the, you know, the uh, ingredients out of it, so to speak. Well, the Y gig, it affects the body's ability to absorb oxygen. And so what you'll have is you've got people who, are, are you know being affected by these frequencies because of you know the radiative properties but the people who have the nanotech are going to be even more susceptible to those issues you know what i mean and so they're going to be they're going to be the ones where it's harder to breathe they're going to have more allergies they're going to have you know less adaptability to the really their natural environment it goes around in this in in a huge sort of big picture way is the the key the real key is the water and it's the you know because it carries all of the information and it collects and imprints the information it doesn't lose it and it carries it and it expands it and it compounds it and you know just adds to it and so every time you're being hit with water, you're being hit with knowledge. And so everything that has ever been known or can be known or will be known or it's all contained within the water and we just have to learn how to kind of access it, so to speak. Well, here's the thing, right? I'm going way to the left now because we were mm-hmm. talking about, Bez- <laughs> as the person said, Bozo. Bozo went to space and, and, you know, Elon Musk. Well, here's what I heard, okay? I was talking Mm. to someone, and they said to me that they didn't go to space. They went to an intergalactic meeting. And I said, where'd you get that from? They said, well, someone high up on the food chain in our wonderful government says, hey, listen, our government is not what you think. It's not humans. It's not all humans. You got a bunch of people in meat suits. You got a bunch of aliens in meat suits. And basically, yep. like your Bill Gates, your Bezos, uh, your Elon Musk, they're not from here. And so they went 
that thing was so they could go and have a, a intergalactic meeting. And the meeting was basically, listen, we need Earth back. Earth is now there are different planets, right? But there's something about here that's amazing. Apparently, because of the portals and the ley lines, and, and when we say portals, right? I think about yeah. water. Water is a portal. Uh, yeah. All yeah. that stuff, and so when they came back and they were like, "Okay, what are we gonna do? We'll give Van Jones a hundred million dollars." I don't know. Did you get your check? Because I didn't get one. Um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 just like. It, they don't know how to. So I, the vaccine was something they said that was given because it's like the movie V. They don't want to come and they're here, but they don't want the rest of them to come because could you imagine a planet full of Nat Turners for Christ's sake? Like, <laughs> you, do you get what I'm saying? So it's like, how do we get them docile? Because human beings, as much as they try to take our consciousness, change it, flip it, rub it down, all that shit. We're unpredictable. <laughs> We're not like most well, creatures. Well, it's you know it's widely known. So yeah, now that would be a scenario that would be much more understandable to me because the you know there is something called the Earth Federation, and the Earth Federation, and it's important to. Uh, learn about it because you understand that every nation on the on the planet has representatives that works in peace and harmony in the Earth Federation, which trades with more than 900 civilizations throughout the the universe. They come here and use Earth for resources, and you know it's uh, whatever properties draw these you know civilizations here. Well, there's the Earth Federation that deals with it. And so to contemplate that there's people who are not people and they're interacting and they need a place to, to me, that's much more feasible. You know, with Elon Musk or, um, you know, some of these people, it's, to me, it's more feasible because I see it as the introduction of the, the old council. And the old council, now I heard this was, I don't know, three or four, maybe five years ago or so, because at that time I had heard someone speaking about the four, what they called the, you know, the four original races. And they were the, the carrion and the reptilians and the aquatics and then uh, the, the feline. The reptilians had no sort of imagination you know, they couldn't, uh, what was that commercial? You know, we don't make the things in life. We, we only make them better. What was that? Uh, damn, I forget what it was called, but that was kind of the way of the reptilians is they, they just kind of, they didn't have the originality. Now this was years ago and I'm trying to remember exactly how it went, but apparently there was an agreement an arrangement that was made where the reptilians were given control of the earth for a certain length of time. And then, you know, this galactic group, and I can't remember which, uh, but from what I gathered at the time, it went all the way back to those original councils that the, the agreement is, uh, is coming to an end, or it, apparently it was, there was something to do with this agreement that the reptilians 
broke the agreement or the arrangement or something and they're being forced to give up control. So the the thing I think about with the vaccine is it's not there to protect the people. It's like if you think about uh, getting your animals vaccinated, you know, your, your intention is you're vaccinating them against some diseases, but you're also vaccinating them against giving you some diseases. What's the one? I think it's feline leukemia that you can get from cats. And if I remember correctly, they they give the cat a shot for that or something. Yeah, you there's know, tons of that. I, like, I, I have two cats, and my daughter went and got a little thing, two little mm-hmm. things. I, I, they, I don't even know what they do. But, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. they need, like, like, all these vaccines and stuff like that. But I'm kind of, like, old school, like... A lot of times, like, when they do, like, I'll take them for, like, their first vaccines, and then I'll go back years later, and they'll be like, have you been bringing the cat or the dog? I'm like, for what? (laughs) For what? Yeah, you do, yeah, you do them to get them legal or whatever, but, well, you know, like, with dogs, I think that if, uh, if a dog bites somebody, you know, they're, from what I understand, they're supposed to have a rabies shot, you know, which... That's an example of like your, a te- and, is that a tetanus shot? Is that the same yeah, as a think, tetanus shot? Oh no! Well, I know the tetanus, tetanus shot. They give it to you after you know to prevent because you can get tetanus from rabies. You know, tetanus is where you get the lockjaw. It's the same as if you were to step on a rusty nail. It gets, it gets into your blood and it creates or, issues or, with uh, or do too many do too much drugs. Lockjaw. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I know a lot of people that talk and their lower jaw doesn't seem to move at all. It's like Skeletor. Remember Skeletor from yep. He-Man? Yep, absolutely. In fact, I was just looking at some some uh, He-Man action figures. I guess it's going to be another show on Netflix. Oh, really? Oh, gosh. They, they Is it me or Hollywood doesn't know how to make anything new? They just regurgitate the same thing. But I guess yep. if it's programming, they it, they have to keep putting out the same yeah. programming. And so yep. I, totally, I totally get that point. Yep. Right? But it's... Yeah. Well, now think about that programming along with the, the lily waves, along with the water that, you know, is, uh, affects everybody. And then think about the abstract idea of happiness versus the very real uh, emotional response of fear. And then you can begin to see how easy it is to kind of manipulate people into sort of these different uh, areas you're hurting them into. You know, but in my opinion, what we're watching right now, because the thing is with the social media and the absurdity of these people who are, you know, they're, they're in their 70s, late 70s, early 80s. You know, they're in, and these are the people that are considered to be the leaders, right? Well, they're so fucking out of touch with everything that, and the same with the deep state, you know, the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and the, you know, their next generation should be coming along, but their next generation is also the social media kind of generations coming along. So they're watching how if something is put out in the you know the mainstream or the legacy media and it's something that is through Mockingbird or whatever, through the deep state, now 
it's within hours. You know, like it used to be through the course of putting information out. They, the deep state would put the information out and they might have a 30 day head start or a, you know, six month head start before somebody picks up on it and figures out that it's not really the case. But then they've already gotten away with it by then. Whereas now it's, you know, they make some claim and it's within hours as to whether or not it's verified or, you know, people are posting shit about how, what, what the reality behind it is like with the, uh, you know, what's going on over there. And you don't even, you know, and the sad part is, you know, just a few years ago, when you would say to somebody, what's going on over there, they would have several different choices. Like, hmm, what's going on over where exactly, you know? And there might be several different things going on, but right now in this moment, when you say to somebody, what's going on over there, they immediately know you're talking about Russia and Ukraine, right? Right. And we don't even know for sure. And when I say we don't even know, I'm, I'm saying we as like people in this country don't even know what is going on because we don't take the time. You know, I, I have a friend from back in my old neighborhood and he just made a, you know, I know the kind of guy he is and he's not, he's not real quick with the wit, so to speak, but he doesn't say things nonsensically, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so, um, you know, so he's he's quite thoughtful, but to some people he might seem like a simpleton. You know what I mean? Because he's just kind of that way. He's just sort of simple and easygoing. And he, but when he has something, he's latched onto it. You know what I mean? And he just put out an innocuous question about what's going on. You know, why why is Russia doing this? And I responded and I said that, you know, Russia has already destroyed 13 bioweapons facilities owned by the U.S. And the Spetsnaz have already destroyed several facilities that were perpetrating child sex trafficking. And this guy that I was responding to, you know, he's a few years older. He's, uh, he's maybe 10 years older, you know. So his circle of friends is like 10 years older. So they're in their early 60s. And so when I made this comment, the typical response, oh, where did you hear this? If you were to be even just slightly diligent in what you're responding to, you would know that Toria Newland, the Undersecretary of State, admitted to the bioweapons labs being taken by Russia and how they're worried that Russia is going to release this pathogen you know when in reality it's going to be the deep state you know the deep state is and this is this is what i was getting at with how old they all are you know they have this playbook that they've been playing out of and they don't understand that the newer generations come along they don't understand that the you know if you're paying attention even a little bit information is just slapping you in the face if you know how to i mean just look at things in a, in a sense of um being skeptical you know, if I had any advice for my, for my younger self, you know, if I could go back 40 years or, you know, 30, 35 years or whatever and talk to my, you know, freshman or sophomore self, you know, I would just say, I would just look at them to say, question everything. You got to question everything because nothing is as it seems. And 
you know, that veil and that curtain, it, it starts, and I know I keep harping on it, I keep talking about it, but it starts, for me, it starts with the Anunnaki because they are the ones that, you know, generated the existence to begin with, but they also have the capabilities of manipulating the essence. You know, it even talks about in some of the clay tablets that he that Enki pulled the essence out of the Ajiji and suspended it there as if it were a ghost. Mm. And so he pulled the essence, the spirit of this Ajiji warrior, which a lot of people talk about how the Anunnaki were the Nephilim, or the Anunnaki were the greater gods, and the Ijiji were the lesser gods, and you know. But for me, the way I understand it is that the Anunnaki were all one group, and the members of the Anunnaki that stayed on Mars to run the way station were deemed the Ijiji. And so for me, it was like just different. Uh, geographical locations, right? Just like as if you were to say they're American versus they're, you know, Ukrainian versus they're Russian. You know, the Ajiji were the ones on Mars and the Anunnaki were the ones on Earth. Because the Ajiji, the Anunnaki are those from heaven to earth came and the Ajiji are those who from far away watch or those who from far away observe. And they ran the way station. And so in developing the Adamu, part of the process was, and the Adamu was the first man, he who was of the earth. And he had skin that was red like the clay, blood red skin. So if anybody's you know curious, the very first man ever created was blood red skin. And, you know, we're all, we're all a derivative of which geographical team we were chosen for. And that's the mark that we have. So when you think about your sports teams and which teams you're rooting for, you know, how do you indicate which teams are which? And generally speaking, it's by their color scheme. You know, like if you were to look at any, any of the teams in the NFL, for the most part, if you took away the numbers and their logos and, you know, and you just gave the color scheme, you know, more often than not, you're going to guess which team it is, you know, and that's kind of the way that it is with humans and with people. I mean, it's at this time now, because of the interaction with, you know, non-terrestrials, like if you're interested, you can look up something called the Griotta Treaty. And that was a treaty with, I believe it was Eisenhower. I can never remember for sure if it was Eisenhower or Truman. But uh, I believe it was Eisenhower signed an actual uh, lawful United States treaty with gray aliens. And, but they're a different gray alien than the typical ones that we think of, like the Hollywood grays. You know, the Hollywood grays are actually a, a lesser, um, a, sort of a lesser status alien. But these taller grays that signed the Griotta Treaty that was supposed to be that the aliens or the non-terrestrials were given permission to uh, examine human beings in exchange for technology, uh, mainly weapons technologies, of course. And, uh, but there was a strict phrasing that the people who were taken and experimented on had to be uh, put back exactly 
where they were kidnapped from or, or taken from, you know, at the same exact moment and uh, in the same place and everything is, and they weren't to have any, any memory of it. You know, well, that infers time travel right there, which is written into a United States treaty. So if, if people have any questions about this kind of stuff, you know, you think about time travel was written into a treaty that was signed by a sitting U.S. president. You know, so if we're really to stop and be skeptical and ask questions and, you know, <laughs> I mean, we, we have time, to start. What, what is it a time travel treaty? Or just well, it was a, it was written into the treaty that, so what it is is it's the, uh, the Griotta Treaty, and it was a treaty between the United States government and gray aliens, and I believe it was 1955 when it was signed. I could be off on the year, but 1955 is what comes to mind, and they had this meeting at this particular air, ba- air base, and the air base starts with the E. I can't remember which one it was, but it, I'm almost positive it, the name started with an E. But he met with these aliens, and it was supposed to be that the aliens were going to be allowed to, like, uh, experiment on people, you know, do their experiments, like their biological research or whatever. But the binder in the treaty was that those people that were taken for the experiments had to be placed back exactly at the moment that they were taken from with no recollection of what had happened to them. Right. So it was supposed to be, these aliens were supposed to be given the permission to go and zap somebody and do all their anal probes and everything, and then zap them back to where they were taken with no memory of anything. So that, by by putting that clause into the treaty, that infers that these non-terrestrials, these gray aliens, had the ability for time travel because they have the ability to take a person from one moment in time and take them for an indefinite amount of time and then place them back in that exact moment so that person, either through some type of memory manipulation, thinks it's the exact moment, but he's really aged however long, or it is placed back at that exact moment, which infers time travel or, you know, a mind manipulation that's permanent like that, which to me, the time travel is more plausible. No, I totally, totally get that, right? While you're talking, I'm thinking about all the different treaties that I've looked at, right? The fact that America and Russia and China can come together along with the other nations and kind of say, everybody stay the fuck out of Antarctica. Yeah. You know? Oh, now y'all get along? Yeah. Right? It kind of makes you want to go, what's over there? I want to go, you know, if you're daring. Well, see, that kind of gives, that kind of, you know, lends a little bit of validity to the Earth Federation, you know, because if all these nations, you know, virtually every nation on Earth can come together and sign a treaty that says, no, we're not going to go and we're not going to explore the entrance to, you know, we're not going to allow our people to uh, create tourism at the entrance to, you know, the inner Earth and or at one of the entrances or the main entrance. You know, because when you read Admiral Byrd's journal, to me, you know, if in this experience, it's kind of when we were talking about being recycled or reincarnation or 
you know, the difference is that I've tried to explain to my kids and other people, but the vision that sort of comes to my mind when I think about it is I think about it like a, like a giant, um, I don't know, Coney Island or Cedar Point or, you know, Astro World or just some major amusement park, right? That just has all the midway rides, just all the roller coasters, all the different rides. And it just, now imagine that same amusement park, but it's infinite in all directions, right? And each ride that you can go on is a different ride to the one that you're on or the one that you're getting on. So if you can imagine having this, these infinite possibilities at this amusement park that you can go and ride, then you think about how some way, form, or fashion, somebody has bamboozled you into riding the same ride over and over and over, right? Mm. And so now you might actually, you might really, really, really like the ride that you're on. And so you gladly take that ride over and over and over again. In fact, some people go to those amusement parks just to ride one ride over and over and over again. I promise right? you, stand on line for two, three hours. <laughs> you know? And then they'll take that five-second ride, and then they'll stand in line again for two or three hours. And they just keep doing it over and over and over. But then if you – and that's the that's the soul trap that, that's been established. Because when you, when you talk about the importance of the earth – yeah, I've heard a lot of different things, like it's the last firewall between the archons. And But for me, the importance of it is what was discovered through the Dark Fleet and the Nazis. Because the Nazis in the 30s, when they, when they made it to the moon, they encountered a, sort of a, a pretty busy neighborhood, you know, and they had to get permission from the Draco. So they signed an agreement or they created an agreement with the reptilians from the Draco, Draco star system, which from what I understand is in Orion's belt. Some call it the Orion empire. Um, but from what I understand, it's in that vicinity is where the Draco sort of originate from. And I guess the Nazis and their dark fleet, that's their interstellar travel fleet. Um, because if you listen to Nassim Haramein, uh, who I mentioned earlier, he's a physicist and a researcher. Um, he gives you some information like, like he's discovered and measured that the vibrational frequency that the a black hole is vibrating at is the same frequency that the electrons inside of our bodies vibrate at as they travel around the nucleus of the atoms. Now, here's something that might trip you out a little bit, right? So they've discovered at the center of every galaxy, and from what I understand, they've discovered uh, 14 galaxies that they've been able to, like, document, right? Even though, even though we know that there's an infinite number of galaxies, just like there's an infinite number of stars, you know, which it's strange to think about, but it's that same fractal pattern you know, like you have with everything, you know, our, our planet in, uh, so in our solar system inside of our, you know, 
galaxy inside of our uh, multiverse or, or multi galaxy inside of our multiverse, right? So all of those sort of fractal kind of growths and the vibrational frequency that they measure on these black holes, so like 14 galaxies that they've been able to map, and they've discovered that in each and every one of them, there's a black hole at the center of the galaxy. And so they've been able to measure the black hole that's at the center of the Milky Way, and they've come to find out that the vibrational frequency, which is, I forget exactly what it was, but it's like 10, uh, fucking 13.1 times 10 to the gigabillionth power or some shit. I forget exactly, but it's some uh, number that physicists use. And that frequency that it's vibrating at, so they, then we're able to measure. So inside of each of us, we have our cells that have the, you know, the atoms within it with the the neutrons and the protons and the electrons and the nucleus, you know, and so you have all of these molecules at the atomic level and about the nucleus of the atom and the electron that's spinning around it and orbit. Well, that orbit generates a particular frequency and that frequency is the same vibrational frequency as what's measured in the black hole at the center of the galaxy. In essence, we are all each one of our atoms at the molecular level, we are vibrating, we are black holes. At the atomic level, we're black holes. And now we vibrate with that frequency that matches the black hole at the center of the galaxy, right? Simultaneously, while our at the atomic level, our electrons are vibrating with the same frequency as the black hole, at the macro level, we as a human experience vibrate at the same frequency as the earth in the human cavity resonance and that's at seven to eight hertz of a vibration and that's what the earth that is at seven to eight hertz and humans vibrate collectively you know all of our cells and atoms and everything collectively together vibrates at yet each individually they vibrate at the same frequency as the black hole in the center of the galaxy right no, that, wow. that's, no, that's no, kind no, of trippy to think about, it, isn't it? It is, right? So while you're talking, in my head, in my head, right, I, I <laughs> had the thought of one of my favorite cartoons that I uh, I love to watch. One of the movies was Osmosis Jones. I don't know if you remember yep. that. Yep. And so I thought about the fact that, you know, they say as above, so below, but what if not... Inward is outward, and outward is inward, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, like, it's all connected. Yeah. And it, it just, as you're explaining to me, it just, it feels right. I, I want to yeah, know more about it, right? <laughs> that's, well, see, right there, and I've often said to people that, you know, we all know, we all know what's true and what isn't. You know, it's because we have that built in because we know, I mean, we've, we've been exposed to water our entire lives and we've been exposed to that infinite knowledge that's contained within that water. You know, so we know it's just, we just don't necessarily have the equipment to 
tap into Einstein's thought process behind E equals MC squared, right? Or, and I'm trying to use an example of what's considered to be a great mind and their exact pattern, you know. So we can't necessarily just tap in, and, and but we have that knowledge available, and it's within because of the water, because that information was captured and imprinted with the water that was around during Einstein's time. And so that information was captured in that water that's constantly being recycled. You know, it's constantly being processed over and over and over. It, it becomes, a, you know, a puddle or it becomes groundwater that eventually evaporates into the sky and it evaporates and then, it, you know, eventually it condenses back into a cloud and it rains. And so that's, so right now it's raining here and it's saturating the ground. So when the water here is... Um, affected like if I were to take and uh, if I had a drum and let's say I was out in my out in my yard dancing and drumming and you know chanting that energy depending on which direction I wanted to take it would be affected especially if I were grounded and barefoot that energy would be into that water that I'm my each one of my connections with that earth creates sort of that seismic kind of you know, when you when you see the Hollywood version of a an earthquake on the seismology meter, or whatever, and the seismograph, and you see it like radiating out in these pulses, you know, mm-hmm. or the like the the cup of water during Jurassic Park, you know. So each time I come in contact, there's that kind of outward ripple of my energy that I'm putting out, and that's going into the water, and that water is being recycled because then it'll it'll evaporate eventually and it'll head up into the atmosphere. And from there, it's not going to condense and turn into a cloud and drop right back in the same exact spot. Right. So it'll be carried through the jet stream or through the movements of the earth and the atmosphere and everything in conjunction. So the information that it got here from me, you know, drumming and chanting and stomping and dancing and sending that into the atmosphere. And then that may be carried and condensed over Hell, who knows? Maybe it's you know condenses over Hawaii or something, or it condenses over California, or it condenses over Maine or Pennsylvania, or you know what I mean. But the information that I put in here, the the frequencies, they travel and they're contained and they're delivered, or they're available in some other area, and it's just a matter of trying to. Uh, attempting to connect with the information that's within the water within each of us. And that's where going inward makes the most sense to me because you're going inward into the water to go into the information that's stored within, you know. Wow. I, I, my head is going like a thousand places. I'm not even, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's, it is a lot to absorb, but at the end of the day, I'm absorbing it, right? So as you're speaking, yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, when you're talking about how this is uh, resonates with this and then this happens because of this, but we're not sure how it works, but they're all the same. Like, it's all relative, right? It's like Einstein. Yeah. It's all, whether it's time, whether it's whatever and stuff like that. Um, I was just looking at an article while you were uh, talking because I was just like, well, let me kind of see what I can find. 
And so even something like it says, C.S. Lewis once said, the future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. But is that always <laughs> true? While it certainly seems that time runs slowly whenever I'm in a boring meeting, physics tell us that, in fact, the passage of time is not as constant as we once thought. Professor Jung Yi, Yi and his team at the University of Colorado are building incredibly precise atomic clocks to m try to measure their these distortions in time, as the Robert Spencer found out. And there was a part where they basically said, um, in the 2014 movie Interstellar, the protagonist yeah. visits a planet deep in the gravitational pull of a black hole. Despite spending only a few hours on the surface, when they return to their colleagues in a spacecraft, they find two decades have gone by. Yeah. Right? And I, 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 in, so now I'm taking it somewhere else because I think about the fact that we, and people have had this. Have you not had time loss? Have you not lost time? And thought to yourself, what the fuck happened? Yep. Yep. I did that just the other day. I was I was sitting down watching a little bit of TV, you know. I like watching Star Trek, some of the old episodes. And I was watching some. And I just, you know, it seemed like it was only an episode or so, you know, which they're half-hour episodes. It seemed, it seemed like it was, a, you know, a couple of episodes maybe. And I look up and it's like, three hours, four hours had gone by and I was just like, damn, what the hell happened? You know? But when you... But here's the wall shit. You know that the the key, they're saying the key is gravity. Yeah. Well, it's the singularity. So that same guy, Nassim Haramain, right? And if you can imagine like water going down the drain in your tub, mm. right? and you have, the, you have the drain, and so like if your tub, say it was filled up, and you just pulled the drain on it or pulled the plug on it. And you know how the water starts going down the drain and it creates this vortex? Yeah. It's like a big giant uh, tornado, water tornado. Mm -hmm. All that water is going down into the drain, right? So it's being sucked down into the drain and it has no capability of being able to resist it, right? But once that water hits that drain that's in the tub, it then changes, right? It's it starts to explode into the drain, right? Because that that vortex, it doesn't just immediately just start, you know, draining down into the just it fills up the drain entirely, and you know that's where that vortex is coming in. Is there's that little bit of uh, water that's in the drain, but it's on the opposite side that's being expelled, right? So imagine if you didn't have a have a drain pipe, and you you were able to see how the water was happening through that drain, but it didn't have the the drain pipe on it. So as the vortex comes down and it meets the little grate that's in the tub, it changes and it, and it starts to expand expel out to the other side of the drain. Right. Well, that's what they call the event horizon or the singularity. That's where that that vortex that's being siphoned in or pulled in to one moment because the the universe is duality. It's the you know, the good and evil, the up and down, the black and white, the positive, negative, you know. So there's a duality, there's the push pull. 
So you have something that's being pulled in that vortex, and when it meets that event horizon, that drain grate, and then it starts to push out away from that drain, that's the expulsion. So you have the contraction and the expansion, right? So that's part of that duality. You have the contracting part of the, the black hole that's sucking down to that singularity, and then on the opposite side, you have the expansion or the explosion of that energy that's on the opposite side of that drain tile, that drain grate. And so that's your event horizon and your singularity. And Nassim Harriman, he he's proposed that if you were able to vibrate at the proper frequency of the singularity, you could then use that singularity to travel anywhere that you can resonate at that same frequency, right? And so you could, in theory, in his theory, since we all vibrate, the electrons vibrate at the same frequency as the black hole, Nassim speculates that the Earth is, in essence, a mini black hole, and you can actually travel through the singularity, right? Because you think of it as the hourglass. And when you when you think about the Hollywood version of the hourglass and that one tiny little grain of sand, you know, that goes from the upper section into the lower section, and once it crosses that threshold, that, that e- horizon, that event horizon, from the upper chamber to the lower chamber, when it's in the midst of making that transition at that exact point is the singularity, right? So it's one single point that everything has contracted to and is now exploding away from. And if you can match that, then you can travel from one singularity to another, to another, to another. And so Nassim speculates that the Earth contains a singularity and that through uh, the volcanoes and the thermal tubes is how do, you, how do you get to the singularity in the Earth. And then you can use that to sort of jump from the Earth to the other planets. And then when you want to make a jump from the planets to, you can then jump from our sun to another sun in a different solar system. And then you can make the jump from a solar system to the galaxy. And then you can make the jump from galaxy to galaxy. Wait, right? th- this, and, is, this is without going through a wormhole or black hole? Yeah, well, it's, the, it's going through the singularity which okay. is the, you know, the center of the hourglass. Okay. And so, the center of... So, okay, so wait, not to interrupt you. So in in the theory, which I, I read, right, so they say if you take a clock, right, and you place it in a weaker gravity, and you take another one, you put in a strong gravity. So if you put a clock upstairs and you put a clock downstairs, mm-hmm. that basically one is always going to be faster than the other. I ain't even going to lie to you. None of my fucking clocks in my house are at the same time. It's the weirdest <laughs> yeah. shit. It's the weirdest well, shit, but it's true. No, it makes sense because the higher you go, you know, the less density or the less uh, pull that that force has, you know. So the farther away from terra firma you go, the less. Now, it takes, it takes more thrust to break away from, to break the threshold of that force, you know, that draws you towards, towards the terra firma. But the, the idea of the duality, so when you think about a black hole, and we, you know, we've all 
we've always been taught that the black hole would, you know, it just sucks everything in. And, you know, the gravity is, is so great that it just, you know, it sucks it in and nobody knows. And that's all we were ever taught is that a black hole just sucks everything in and that's it. And then we saw a movie made in 1978 of some fucking spaceship that flies too close to a black hole. Right. And the black hole swallows everything in its path. Well, what we're not taught is on the other side of the black hole is a white hole. And so the idea that a black hole is absorbing everything and drawing everything in, the white hole is then expelling everything or pushing everything out, right? So you have the direct opposite of what is happening within the black hole from the singularity beyond is the you know, the white hole. So the idea being that if you can match the vibration of the singularity, then you could jump from one to the other. So you would have to, you would have to be able to uh, match the vibrational frequency of the black hole. And then you go into that singularity vibrationally, and then you are expelled on the other side of the white hole. Right. So that's sort of, I guess you could say it's a wormhole, but it's more of a, you know, using the black hole and that movie interstellar kind of, uh, played along with that idea of using it to travel through time as well. So when you think about the possibility that there's a singularity and that's the, that's the biggest key, right? So you'll have, uh, when you, when you think about a mini black hole, it's basically enough to, say, take in, suck in a ship, right? So it's a, a black hole big enough to suck in a spaceship, send it to the singularity, and then expel it on the other side of the white hole in the, you know, the center of one of the other planets, right? Because if you have that singularity, you have the drawing in force and you have the expelling force. So that's how you would be able to have ships come from other wait, planets. Uncle here. Mike, Uncle Mike, wait, because I'm <laughs> five. Uncle Mike, listen. Yep. You're, you've explained at somewhere at the top of half of the hour that scientists have found that that up up or below or whatever the fuck space really is, but I have my theories, Um, have the same type of frequency, the same as our atoms. You're telling me because they'll they'll show you, oh, we're going to get sucked into the black hole or the wormhole or Star Trek's going to say we can't go that way. Well, you know, we're light years away. But if we are made of the same things that this is made of. And we vibrate at the same. Right. Oh, is it like cannibalism? You know, is it like that or is it more like you just you just now get absorbed into it? You become or it becomes you. Not that you would want to see a big head Cindy in the sky or some shit. No, but, it's yeah. it's harmony. It's harmony because you vibrate at the same at the same frequency. Like if you're in a swimming pool with a bunch of people, right, and they're all splashing around, mm-hmm. then you get all of these interference waves, right? You get these interference patterns because everybody is creating their own ripple. Right. So everybody creating their own ripple in the pool is the interference and the chaos. Now, if you were able to somehow get all of those people 
to, you know, create their waves in the same exact rhythm, the same exact force, the same exact pattern, well, then you could create harmony, right? Because then everybody would be all at the same predictable kind of style or pattern, right? Kind of like the ladies, the ladies that do the dancing in the pool, do you know? Yeah, synchronized swimming. Yeah, the synchronized swimming. swimming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that and also like if, like if you think about when you're in, you're in a friend's pool and you all decide to do a whirlpool, you know, and everybody starts running around the edge of the pool, and you create this giant whirlpool that everybody you know takes, they they take turns floating in, and they're just carried around the the side of the pool on the whirlpool. Well, that's matching the frequencies. That's matching and that's harmonizing. And that's where, you know, you listen to singers and you hear, I mean, it's even a part of a song. It's the harmonies and, or, or how people sing. And really what it is, is it's, it's getting in sync on a vibrational frequency level. And so if you think about how we and our electrons vibrate at, the same frequency as a black hole, it's certainly reasonable to think that if we were to ever come in contact with a black hole, you know, it's entirely plausible to think that we may match the vibration in the sense that we may be able to travel through the singularity. Right, but who's who's to say we're not in one? Henceforth, the Galactic Federations. Who's, to oh, no. say, who's not to say that? <laughs> well, uh, you know, some people, I think Nassim in one of his lectures even talked about how we may possibly actually be living on the inside of a black hole. And that's why space is always dark. Wait, I have to, I've never told you my theory about where space is. All right. I think space is underneath us. I think it's in the water. Have you ever seen the uh, the scientist? He, he died three days after he found it, of course. Uh, the scientist that went deep into the art, uh, deep, deep into the water of the ocean. And when he got down to the very bottom, because it's a long, long, long way, yeah. he, he found a lake inside of the ocean. So they tried to penetrate the lake, but it was like gelatin. They kept bouncing yeah. off. Well, he died three days later. Yeah, you know, I think I, I think I do remember something about that. I don't remember the specifics, but I remember, I remember thinking, "Oh, that's strange." You know, I need to check into that, but I never. Someone put that on OTW tube. By the way, I will send you the link, and you could check it out. It's really quick; it's only a minute, but. I, I thought yeah. to myself, and, and that's not the first time I thought that, I said to myself, how many creatures there are on the planet and Earth and stuff, and we're just finding out about this and that, but I'm talking about in the sea, and I, and I thought about, like, we talked about waters and it being portals, and, and it's yeah. a way, you know, and I thought about the movie, They Live, right? Why does it have to be that way? You're leaving and going to another planet. Why not go through water? Because I don't know about you, right? Most planets have clouds. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm just saying. Even if Yeah, it's and it's planet. how do they Well, that's the thing is, you know, the the cloud indicates some type of some type of condensing mechanism, you know, because that's really what 
clouds are is it's just the water going from its vapor form into uh, liquid form, you know, and that's the sort of the chrysalis if you if you want to think about it that way. For me, when I think about it, as far as the information that we have available in respect to the the planets and the you know, unfortunately, we're kind of limited to what the official sort of uh, descriptions or narratives are in a sense that, you know, NASA or some of the other space agencies around the world, you know, they're going to, they all sort of seem to have this same kind of basic like foundation for everything that they're, you know, they do like the, uh, the example of course would be Mars, the red planet from our vantage point, what we see from our vantage point is we see a red planet but yet when you look at some of the pictures of the the rovers that are there you know they've got blue skies they've got skies like ours the ajiji when the way station was on mars right so when the anunnaki were coming here they they stopped at mars and they actually thought about making their setting up shop on mars and they were really, really considering it. That was going to be where they stopped. That was going to be their base of operations. And if that's the case, you know, the course of human history obviously would be some something different. But what they found is that they could drink the water and they could, you know, plant their food, but they just couldn't breathe the air. Uh, there was something in the air that they couldn't breathe. So whenever they went outside, they'd have to wear their helmets. And they were like, you know what, fuck this. We don't want to have to do this. So this will be because of the the gravitational distortions. They knew because Mars being a smaller planet that it would be easier to break the gravitational force. So it would take less fuel and less energy to launch their shipments. You know, so the Mars was their way state. It was their staging area. So what they would do, they used the pyramid, you know, the Great Pyramids. This was after the flood. And obviously, you know, staying on our water theme, but they call it pre-diluvial. And in the the post-diluvian, which the diluvian would be the flood. And, you know, that's the flood that was recorded in 190 different religions or something around the world of myths and mysteries. And But this flood was really, it was Nibiru had had ventured so close to the earth that it sucked away Mars's atmosphere and you know because at the time the they were able to use the terra firma of Mars for their operation and it was 600 GG that were at the way station but on earth there was um there was another 300 of the Anunnaki, but the Nibiru, when it came by, and it it almost pulled Mars into its into its they call it its attracting net. You know that's what they described the gravity in the in the tablets is the attracting net. So it was almost pulled into the orbit around Nibiru, but then Nibiru had come so close that when it had come so close to the Earth, it melted the ice caps and that's what created the flood and the reason that it was 
recorded the way it is is because Enlil made the Council of Twelve swear, or the Anunnaki Council, he made all them swear that they wouldn't tell the earthlings, they wouldn't tell the humans, because he got sick of hearing them screwing all the time. You know, and he's like, I can't get any rest. They're, you know, it should be like at a, at a zoo, you know, where you hear the animals. Well, I mean, that's, and, well, I mean, you know, just with the calls and with the noises that they make, you know, I mean, the animals aren't doing anything unnatural. It just, that's the noises that they make. That's their normal behavior, you know, and, and Lil just couldn't dig the human's normal behavior. And so he, he wanted them wiped off the, the face of the planet. And he made the council swear that he wouldn't, they wouldn't say anything. But Enki, you know, this was his creation. These were, this was his idea. These were, you know, his, this was his brainchild. This was, these were his babies. He didn't want them to fucking just get wiped out, you know. So he had compassion. And then Nanarsag was the, his sister, his half-sister, and, or Ninki, I know, Nanarsag, and Ninurta. See, they all have like these, you know, three or four freaking names that they give each other. So they have all these different titles and monikers, and so sometimes it's difficult to remember. No, it's like what it's like watching Avengers or Thor for me. I, like it's just a lot going on. I just want to see the fight yeah. and us winning. That's it. I'm just like, who was right. that again? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the idea that if uh, you know, when when you think about it, it's like okay, well, they have these. Well, an example would be there, you know, you're constantly heard by, by scholars that, no, you know, nobody knows who built the pyramids. And, you know, they, they were explained the way that they were built by Egyptians and the pharaoh and this time and that time. Da, 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 da. Well, when you go back to the Sumerian histories, you know, the Sumerian histories in the clay tablets describe why the pyramids were built. And they were built for four reasons. Let me see if I can remember. They were built as a monument for those who survived the flood, the Anunnaki that survived the flood. They were built as, they called it the Artifice Mount. It was Mount Ararat, and before the flood, Mount Ararat had a twin, and I can't remember the name of the twin, but that were landmarks that the Anunnaki would use in, that was sort of their space corridor, sort of their landing corridor for their ships that would go from the chariots. Anyhow, it's, uh, it's, uh, it would be like their, their big spaceship that's orbiting the Earth, kind of like uh, the Enterprise, you know, and then they'd have their shuttlecraft that shuttle back and forth to the planet's surface. Well, they had a landing corridor pre-Diluvian that was these two mountains that were natural formations. And then after the flood, one of the mountains was, like, virtually, you know, erased. And so they constructed the artifice mount, which the artificial mountain being the Great Pyramids on Giza in order to identify the landing corridor. But then they also had a, a crystalline technology that emitted a beacon that went through, like uh, most people don't know, but the, the capstone of the Great Pyramid was covered, and some people think it was iridium, some people think it was platinum. Some people think it was gold. But the indications are that with the white limestone that originally covered the pyramid, and they believe that it was a, you know, from all accounts and indications, 
it would be that it was covered in gold. So the crystalline energy technology, it would shoot a beacon through the top of the pyramid out into space. And that would be for the celestial chariots to identify where, say they're coming from Mars, right? And they just dropped off a load of whatever, and they're coming back to Earth. Well, they follow that beacon. They see the beacon of the Great Pyramid. And so they know to go to that portion of the Earth. And then when they come into land, the Great Pyramid lines up, creates this normal, this natural boundary of Mount Ararat on this particular line, and it creates a landing corridor. Kind of like so a, they, so basically like an airport. I, I got this part exactly. to read for you. According to the 10th of the so-called Lost Cimmerian tablet written in Enki's own words, the Anunnaki built the pyramids of Egypt as a beacons for their new main spaceport on Earth after the yep. old ones had been wiped out by the biblical great flood. Yep. You're on your shit, Uncle Mike. I shouldn't have cussed, but go ahead. Well, the idea of of going there is to let people know that there are there's information that confirms that you know if we take the time to like look into it, it completely changes the sort of that outlook or that typical response that you would expect. You know, like you would, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of David Icke, and he used to say that the way you control what is possible is you define what is impossible, right? So, like when you have somebody talking about something and somebody next to them going, no, it's, hey, that's impossible. And you define that, right? And you define that through the education system and then you you come to find out that through that education system and through defining what is impossible then you can start to limit the possibilities right because then people don't even get interested because it's quote unquote impossible right so the way that you limit the possible is by defining what's impossible yeah but you and I know well, I, got, I shouldn't speak for Uncle Mike, but I don't feel like anything's impossible, sometimes improbable, but it is, it can actually happen. Yes. But that's how it's, I think, which is absolutely weird when you're on a playground, you know, and you're a kid and they, you can't do that. Yes, the fuck I can. I hope the teacher didn't uh, yeah, hear. <laughs> that takes us back around to what we were talking about earlier and suspending the essence of the Ajiji in the air as if it were a ghost. It's that essence, you know, because that essence is what gets to ride all the various rides on our infinite amusement park, right? And that essence and those rides are the experiences that are available. So right now we're having this experience as we're having our discussion and we're having an experience based on what, the senses and the limits to those 3D sort of senses are. And so we have this experience, but when this is over, we have the opportunity to then step out of line, go and we can either go get some refreshments, you know, chill out at the park, you know, run back to the car. We could go to the hotel. We could chill out. We could, or 
we could go get on another line and go have another experience. But the thing that's happened here is that a soul trap has been developed and it's somebody else chooses what your experience is. And that's how they tricked us into riding the same ride over and over and over. Uh, damn. Now, I do want to tell the audience because I, I sometimes, you know, sometimes things come. I'm I'm following. Right. But sometimes people don't follow it. They're supposed to unless you have fucking letters and pitches and cartoons and shit. So who are the GG? It says, but before humans were created, the Ajiji was used by the ancient Anunnaki as their main labor force. It is said that the Ajiji, they who turn and see, were the ancient astronaut gods of the younger generation, the servants to the mighty Anunnaki who came to Earth to mine gold. And then they said, where were the Ajiji and Anunnaki? And it says, judging by lack of... EGG reference in ancient texts, humanity must have had little or no direct contact with the previous servant caste. The EGG may or may not have been a class of Anunnaki, but whoever they were, whatever they were, they faded into the woodwork after human beings were created. Gosh. So if you look back through the course of all human history and really all the, the major civilizations and their pantheons of gods, up until, you know, current with the monotheistic sort of transformation that took place when Enlil, he sort of appropriated everything in his name and, you know, kind of changed the rules. But up until then, you know, there was always 12 elder gods, right? And the 12 elder gods, and then you, you had the pantheon of lesser gods. You know, like if you look back at ancient Rome or ancient Greece, you know, they had a, a freaking God for everything, you know, the God of, you don't want to, you don't want to anger the God of salt spilled over the threshold or, you know, you don't want to anger the God of doorways right. or, you know, so they had a, they had a, a pantheon and the difference being that the Anunnaki or the council of 12, the main Anunnaki are considered to be like Enlil, Enki and uh, Ninarsag which were the three offspring of the main king, Anu. So he had these three offspring. And if you've ever seen the movie Jupiter Ascending, that's a very, it's a very good analogy as to the, you know, kind of the greater picture to our existence. But the, the difference is, is that we are the vessels that we are by Enki taking that essence from that Ajiji and suspending it as if it were a ghost, what it did is it kind of created this sort of requirement that being that is created in the human form must contain that essence, right? The way to explain it is like by Enki taking that spirit out, now whenever somebody is, you know, whenever the vessel is created for containing a new spirit that's where our eternal soul comes from right so there's a difference between being immortal and being eternal you know immortal means that the body never dies but eternal means that the spirit never dies and so that's why you have these recycled spirits and essence that you know some say it's a collective consciousness like you return to that collective consciousness then you can go and jump on a different ride. I like to think that, you know, you have remnants of the last ride, 
And the idea of the collective consciousness is, to me, it's it's sort of limiting, right? If you look at the eternal essence that we are, eternal means that there's no beginning and no end, right? It's infinity. It's eternal. It's forever. It's There's no, you know, there's no restriction to it. Infinite, well, like out of space. Infinite, infinite, like the universe is in the Milky Ways, in the ugh. exactly, and the fractals, because that's what it's the fractals. It's just the continuation, and it's like watching Fibonacci sequences, right? It's just it exactly. just never ends. Yep, it just continues and continues and continues, and those are the cycles, and those are the experiences, and those are the vibrational frequencies and they all tie in together and the things that i learned is that the ajiji were in fact you know when you think of the anunnaki right the anunnaki is a title that was given in the recordings from here on earth right but they originate from nibiru so they're they're nibiruans right just like we would be earthlings now here on earth as earthlings you know we have different geographical regions right but we also have in some instances different class systems like in in india they they're a caste system right we were created you know as a slave race our essence was to be workforce you know and it was a system of slavery that was designed for our essence, our spirit. Right. Henceforth, when, when, you said, when you said we're all earthlings, you have to speak for you. I don't even feel like I belong here. I'm not even going to lie to you, but go ahead. <laughs> well, that's that. See, and there, there again, that's where um, we've got um, sort of an intermingling of the different sort of experiences and the different rides and that's where we've get we've had influence from other sort of entities our transceivers our dna it transforms because of the water for lack of a better term it evolves right but you here's know. the thing about your roller coaster analogy how many times have you ever seen a kid get on a roller coaster and they're screaming i want to get off that's how I feel about Earth. I want to get the fuck oh. off this goddamn ride. <laughs> Again? I was a kid that used to... I don't know how many people did this as a child. I, I'm i not going to lie to you. Every now and then I'll do it in, as an adult. You ever spin? Because when they tell you, the it, you know, we're on a ball and it spins, and then you would spin around, and then you would get lightheaded, and the room would keep spinning? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I normally do that with my children. Granted, I'm a thousand years old. I'm still doing this shit. But yeah, it's it's just something. It's like one of those. Are we on a record player, right? Because if it's flatter, it would be a record player, yeah. right? Is it like that, right. Mike? Well, I mean, we have we have a few minutes left, and I know yeah. that to do rapid fire, which means we got to do this again. All right, I, you know. Well, the hard part is, is that it, you know. I can get so long-winded, and I go on so many different tangents that it's hard to sometimes, you know, give short answers for me because it's like trying to condense 
everything in a concise answer that like takes you from the starting point to the finish without, you know, and sometimes you have to add in like the, the sort of fuzzy details, you know? Yeah, no, well, here's the thing, right? It's like someone who goes on an expedition and they go away and they go away for about five, ten years and they come back. You're not going to get a 30-minute, <laughs> you <laughs> <Right>. know, <laughs> and this is what happened. And then we met these people and this tribe. And, uh, and then everyone wants to know, like, every, you know, nook and cranny. And so it's it's just, it's just, well... We're on radio, right? So it's a frequency. So you're riding the frequency, so it's okay. And if we got to come back 3,500,000 times until we're no longer here or I drop off the goddamn planet, I'm for it. I'm for it. Or you find your ride. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even... Here's the thing. I've always loved... You know, even when you're talking about roller coasters and stuff, I used to love roller coasters. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Because I, I could almost see myself falling out of it. Yeah. That sounds crazy, right? But you don't. <laughs> and then they came up with that invention where you could kind of sit, kind of like they do over in uh, NASA. You sit, and it's like uh, you're staring at it, but you're not going anywhere. And your mind is tripping because you feel like you're on a roller coaster. You feel like you're flying. Yeah, that virtual reality. Yeah. And so, yep. yeah, that whole thing. So that's why it's like, yeah. I think sometimes... Um, I believe, like, when you were saying, like, the whole black hole thing, I really feel like we're definitely in a black hole somewhere. And and guess what? The fact that they built the pyramids, it makes sense. The intergalactic meeting. We want Earth. Well, you know, that was the that was the other thing is that I needed to explain real quick. That was the fourth thing that it was those were created for is they're almost like an egg timer. Because when you look at them at certain times of the year, I think it's the solstice and the uh, equinox, the pyramid, when the sun hits it just right, it's actually eight-sided because each side actually is concave slightly. So you have to see it at exactly the right lighting, but it's almost like a you know each, instead of it being a four-sided pyramid, each side of the pyramid, it dips in at the center just slightly just ever so slightly to where you can only see it on these certain days. And so it's like that was their egg timer. That was when it told the celestial chariots to when to land and load up to pick up the, the gold that was mined. And then they would set off. The uh, pyramid would show the time on when, okay, you know, harvest is over. Okay, send the ships off and bring the new ones in. You know, and they would do that twice a year. They would just fucking load them up. Wow. So, based in layman's terms, for those of you following in the back, but want to understand, it's like when I know people don't bake from scratch anymore, but it's that timer your your grandma, your Gma had, yep. and then the cake yep. went and it was ready, and it was to go or to go zzz, right, yep. or, <laughs> and then or, she or, knew brrr, to take it out. right, and everyone knew it's ready. Yep. It's ready yep. for the harvesting and eating. <laughs> yeah, they call that the egg timer or a baking timer. You know, maybe next time, maybe next time we can, if we have a chance, it's funny because you mentioned the, you know, the eating or it's ready and the story of Cain and Abel or Cain and Abiel uh, just jumped into my mind when you were talking about that. Cain and Abel were, uh, you know, of course, the sons of Adam and Eve in the Bible and they were the first sons and they had an issue with each other and one offering was chosen over the other. 
and then you know out of a jealous fit of rage you know this incident occurs this murder right the first murder well thousands of years before the biblical story was you know pen to paper was put was written down there's a sumerian story of cain and abiel who are the sons of adapa and titi who are the first civilized humans and so they're taught because they're civilized right adapa is taken to nibiru to meet anu adapa being he's actually turns out he's the son of enki and an adamu female but he's got a higher intellect he's he's more easily taught and so he then is taken to nibiru where anu decrees that man is going to be taught you know the intricacies and the knowledge and the wisdom of the universe right and so Ningazita, who is also the Egyptian Thoth, or the god of wisdom, Ningazita is given the task, or he, he volunteers to become the teacher of mankind. And Ningazita is actually the third son of Enki. He's the one that does the genetic experiments on the hum, on the in the creation of the Adapa, or pardon me, the Adamu. But Ningazita is then tasked to be the the teacher. And then Enlil's son, I believe it was Ninurta, was given the task of teaching one of the one of the sons of Adapa and Titi. So he's chosen to be a mentor and a teacher, and Ningazita is told is is uh, chosen. But one of them is taught farming where the other one is taught is taught shepherding. Well, sheep are not native to Earth. They were brought from Nibiru, along with some other plants and some other things. But some of the things that were brought back from Nibiru were things that the Anunnaki on Earth hadn't experienced for a long time, right? So you have sheep. Well, for them, it wasn't a really long time, but in our in our terms, it would have been a really long time, right? And so they didn't have sheep or the roasted meat of the sheep, gyros or lamb chops or whatever you get from sheep, right? So when when Abael, who was chosen to be the shepherd, when he brought forth his offering at a celebration of what they called the first fruits, the celebration of the first fruits, and that's where they brought, of course, the first fruits of the harvest. And this was the first harvest that they had uh, learned on and had, had basically grown themselves. And the first uh, offerings of the, the herd. And so they have this festival of the first where there's actually meat that's being roasted. And this is sheep meat that the Anunnaki hadn't had in a long time. So for them, it was just home cooking. And they were like super excited over the home cooking, and that's the the offering from Abael. And so he presents this meat offering, and the Anunnaki smell the meat, and they're like, "Dude, oh man, it's home cooking." And the, there's a misperception that Abael's offering is chosen, when in fact Enlil steps up and and he exemplifies or or he congratulates both of them. And he discusses how both of them are important in the, you know, the overall 
inner workings of what is mission earth, you know? And so there's this misconstrued idea. Abael is actually, or Abel is the one who, you know, kind of incites the violence against him because he, he will just, he's relentless in rubbing Cain's nose in it, you know? And then, so Cain kills him and that's where the, the, Cain is exiled to the opposite end of the earth or the opposite side of the earth into the place of wandering. And that's where the Mesoamerican and South American legends come in. And but I just, when you had mentioned the, in the festivals and the, yeah, just it, it immediately brought mind and, you know, he comes back to the water because the mark of Cain is that they altered his genetic composition to where it was difficult to grow a beard because in the Nibiruan society, a beard is like, uh, you know, it's a, a status symbol, kind of like things are working out today in today's day and age. And, you know, the, the beard has become a status symbol. And the mark of Cain is that Cain and his descendants forever thereafter would never be able to grow a beard. And so I'm always, you know, because I know that I always look at like when I see people and, you know, I try to judge like their age and then I look at their facial hair and it's like, you can almost tell the descendants of Cain, you know, they have that mark where they can't grow the beard. But the descendants of Cain were the survivors of the, the flood. You know, they were the, the first re, reanimation of humans. <laughs> wow. And, 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 and so it's almost like, uh, uh, Christians, please close your ears. Uh, it's the story that I heard about Adam and Eve, right? And the fact that the tree of knowledge was not what you think it is. It was actually the serpent because they didn't have any children yet. The serpent really talked Eve into having a threesome with, (laughs) with Adam. And hence for the apple is really Adam eating out Eve. And hence what she said, Oh God. And this is why we're here. So here we go. (laughs) Well, there's, there's even the story, you know, the, the name Enki in the Bible, the Christian God, Baal. Baal is the sort of the nemesis to God in the ancient or in the Old Testament. You know, that's where the Israelites are forbidden from, you know, entering the temples of Baal. You know, they're stepping up to the altars. They have to destroy the altars. They're not supposed to interact with any followers of Baal. You know, in fact, they're supposed to kill them on sight. And in the ancient writings in the ancient Hebrew, it's actually written as Da-Ea-Ba-El or capital D lowercase a, capital E lowercase a, B-A-A-L. So it's Da-Ea-Ba-El, which when it's translated, that means Lord Ea, which Enki's name was Ea. He whose home is in the water. and Or E-A, they called him Ea. And he was given the name Enki when he was on earth, but uh, the the Hebrew is Da'ea Ba'el. And, you know, the Hebrew, of course, being credited with writing the, the foundation of the 
Old Testament, the Bible, the first five books of Moses. But uh, the name Diabael translates as Lord Ea, but Diabael is the root word for Diablo, which, of course, in Spanish means the devil, or some would extrapolate that to being Satan, right? Or the serpent, in, of course, in the scriptures, right? Because we're supposed, we're led to believe that the serpent is the devil, and the devil being the Spanish word diablo, which is also the root or derived from diabael. So when you look at it, the Lord Ea is the serpent. Lord Ea is Satan or the serpent. Well, in the ancient traditions, the serpent was actually the knowledge bringer. The serpent was a symbol of wisdom. Right. And that's why the uh, the twin serpents or the, the, what are the caduceus, that was actually Enki's symbol was the intertwined snakes of the caduceus. And that was supposed to be the, you know, the, the genes or the genetic makeup, the the DNA ladder, you know. And it was the intertwined serpents because Enki was actually the serpent who was the knowledge bringer and brought the knowledge, like the tree of good and evil and the tree of wisdom and that. That's um, why when you see like a hospital sign, it's the snake intertwined yep. with the, yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the Carducius. But that was also given to his younger son, Ningazita, who was part of that. But the uh, yeah, that intertwined snake is the genetic symbolism for Enki. And he was the serpent or the knowledge bringer. And he was, you know, he was diminished and, and demonized in the Hebrew Bible because the Hebrews are actually the descendants of the Enrolites or the followers of Enlil, who was Enki's half-brother and his his younger half-brother who, you know, in, in typical classic fashion, there was two separate laws of succession on Nibiru. There's the, they call it the law of the seed and the law of the firstborn. And that determines succession, right? So if you have a firstborn, the firstborn always inherits. The, they're always the, the first in line of succession, whether that's in the simpleton's household, you know, just the commoner's household, or whether it's for, for the kingdom. But under the law of the seed, if one is born who is of a half-sister, then they become the they become the heir, right? So, in other words, if the either the head of the household or the king, um, if they have a half-sister and then have an offspring with the half-sister, that offspring then becomes the next in line for succession regardless of position of birth, right? And so that's what happens in the case of Enki and Enlil. Enki was the firstborn to Anu and Antu. However, 
he was born from, uh, I think his mother's name was Damkina. And he was, she was one of the, I don't want to say harem, but one of the house of the wives of Anu. And so a consort, that's the word I was looking for. She was, she was one of the consorts and his, his wife on two was his half sister. And so when she bore him a child in, in, uh, and Lil, and Lil then becomes the next in line for the throne. So Enki was then, you know, he was denied his right to rule, but then he was sent as the chief science officer and the lead uh, astronaut or the guy in charge of the mission Earth. So he took 50 Anunnaki soldiers or uh, citizens or you know, astronauts, and he took them, they called them the heroes, he took 50 of the Anunnaki heroes to Earth to find out and confirm whether or not there was enough gold that they could harvest, because they, of course, had an issue with their atmosphere, and suspending particulates was their solution, but those particulates had to be made of gold, and through the course of their legends, they heard about gold being on Earth, and one uh, uh, an exiled king or a disgraced um, king killer, usurper of the throne. So when he was uh, self-imposed banishment, he discovered the Earth and the you know what their salvation, Nibiru's salvation, and so en- Enki was given charge of verifying the claims and which he did he verified that the, the raw material was here and he, he verified the uh, the quantities and the validities and the purities and you know he set up a he set up a contraption or a a, a process of trying to extract it out of the Mediterranean Sea because it's in the platinum, it's in the monoatomic form in the um, in the Mediterranean, which monoatomic gold is like the yellow gold that we wear. It's way, it's made up of eight atoms that are linked together, but when you can break it down into the monoatomic, which is just the singular atom of gold, then it becomes like a powder but it's a finer powder than even talcum powder. And it actually it exhibits anti, um, anti-gravitational and anti-dimensional or interdimensional properties. Uh, and it's part of the um, platinum group elements, but it's called monoatomic gold. And there's a guy, his name is, uh, damn it, he did a, he's a, a researcher who did the bloodline of, uh, I think he did the bloodline of Jesus um, of Nazareth, I think is the name of one of his books. Um, but he uh, he did another one, and it was the the lineage or trying to establish the lineage of people in the Bible. What did, what did he make? <laughs> mono, mono who? Uh, it's called monoatomic gold. And uh, 
it's part of the platinum group elements. So the the platinum group elements they can they can be put into a condition that's called the ORME, O R M E, and it's orbitally rearranged monoatomic elements. And so what they do is they're able to rearrange the the molecules uh, or the atoms in a in a way that actually transforms the element. So it goes from being the the yellow gold that we see into this you know finer than talcum powder type of uh, and they used to call it mufkut or it's the philosopher's stone. Um, it's the manna from heaven. Yeah, the 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 properties to it. It has anti-aging properties. It has anti-gravitational properties, interdimensional properties, and it's it's called monoatomic gold. There was a bunch of studies done by the Russians, and that's why I wish I could remember this guy's name. Not a Lawrence Gardner. No. Um, yeah, Lawrence Gardner. That's it. Okay. Lawrence Gardner. Thank you so much, because that would have drove me freaking nuts. I know. And the second we stopped talking, I would have jumped right on my playlist to look at, you know. You know, that may be something for, for folks to think about. Because I've got uh, on my Instagram page, which is Exposing the Skyline. But if you go there, there should be a link. Now, I did all this, you know, a few years ago, and I made a, I started a YouTube channel, but really it was just, recording some videos and I never really got past the being able to record for more than 15 minutes. You know, so all my videos were like less than 15 minutes and I couldn't, I couldn't quite figure out how to make them longer or being able to post, you know, longer videos on YouTube. So I didn't really go too far with it, but I did, um, on my channel, I have my playlist and that, or my library that I had to, and I think uh, if people were interested, you know, you can go and check that out because I, I put all my, a lot of the videos that I really do like because I have a job where I can, like, I can put headphones on and I can just turn on YouTube and that's like audiobooks for me, you know. I'll just type in some something that I'm interested in, you know, or some topic that comes up and I'll just type it in and then it'll give you the recommended playlist, you know, and I'll just, I'll just start on the first video and hit play and I'll just listen to it. And if it's something that I'm interested in, I'll just, you know, I'll continue that sort of, uh, Avenue, you know, whatever that topic that is brought up in that video. Right. Connect, so generally, connecting the dots. Yeah. Generally I'll just let it play, you know, and, if there's something that interests me in that particular video, I'll rewind it or, you know, I'll just, uh, I'll just let the playlist just go. And a lot of times it's just kind of background noise. You know what I mean? Just like people turn on the radio and they just let music play and they don't really pay attention to the music, but yet it's still, they're listening to it in the background. You know, and a lot of times that's what I'll do with the, with the YouTube. It's like the audio books and, so that's why sometimes it's hard for me to remember exactly where the information comes from, but it's the... In the words of the X-Files, it's out there. Yeah, exactly. It's out there, you know. 
And so that's why when I find some videos, it's like I'll I'll try to save those, you know, to the library. So if people are wondering, uh, Lawrence Gardner, I saved him in my library because of that. Uh, calls it Starseed, and it's the really the elixir of life. The Anunnaki had you know extremely long lives, but they would you know in some. Some traditions they call it ambrosia or the nectar of the gods, or there's uh, and ambrosia I think might have been in the Hindu tradition, but then you have the manna from heaven, you know, which is the 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 food that you can ingest and it will cure all your ailments and you know it'll you only need to take a few little nibbles off of it and everything is cured and you're back to being a you know, hundred percent fit, and you know, you can live forever on it. And well, this is what uh, Moses fed the uh, when they walked exactly. around for forty years. Manna, exactly. Manna, the, and that's where the manna from heaven comes from. It was supposedly the, you know, supposedly it grew overnight. And but uh, Lawrence Gardner in his in his uh, presentation, you know, he makes a, a pretty compelling. Um, argument or uh, statement that the manna from heaven was really this mufkut, which was like a cake or a bread that was made using this monoatomic element, this monoatomic gold. But this mufkut or this bread uh, was only given to Pharaoh, and it was supposed to be this, uh, you know, elixir of life. But now the that same video or that same presentation from Lawrence Gardner, he also discusses um, how there was a, a farmer and I forget exactly where he was at. Um, I want to say it was like Oklahoma, but I could be, I could be mistaken, but the ground that uh, his farm was on, it just had like this, uh, this certain, um, attribute to it that was undesirable. Apparently, they couldn't really get anything to grow in it, and it had this certain appearance. And it was just there was something about the ground that you know they was was wasn't conducive to what they were trying to do, and they couldn't figure it out. You know, so they ended up taking a soil sample, and they sent it to this particular laboratory in Russia. Um, that I can't remember the name of it, but it was like, it's like the world's premier, um, uh, what do they call that when they're trying to figure out the minerals and the makeup, you know, the, the mineral makeup of the soil. I forget exactly what they're called, uh, but anyhow, they took and they sent these samples to this laboratory and this Russian laboratory discovered that the soil was like super high in the monoatomic uh, gold. And so they came and they harvested a bunch more of it and they extracted this monoatomic gold out of it and created this powder from it. And this powder, when they were doing their studies, they, they would put it in a container, right? So they would weigh the container and the container would weigh out at a certain amount on the scale and when they put the uh, monoatomic powder into the container and put it back on the scale, it was actually lighter 
than just the container by itself. And so apparently there's uh, these anti-gravitational properties when um, it's put into the container, so it's almost lighter than than air, but it uh, also when it was subjected to particular vibrational frequencies, it would disappear. But then when the frequencies were changed, it would reappear in exactly the same configuration, which, according to the scientists, indicated that it went to a different dimension Sounds like and then CERN. reappeared. Sounds like CERN to me. Yeah, you know, that's <laughs> a lot of people think a lot of a lot of shit happened with CERN. That part. If you look at it, it does one thing. If you look away, it does something else. The the Boston Higgs, yeah? Was it the Higgs yep. Boston? Yeah. Yeah. The I think I think it was the Higgs Boson. Okay. Yeah, I'll get a bit <clears throat> dyslexic. I'm inner city child. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean it's the I mean that's part of it too, because according to what some people think happened at CERN in one reality, it's the Higgs boson, and in another one, it running simultaneously, it's the boson Higgs. You know, that's where that whole Mandela thing, that Mandela effect is, is kicking in. They believe that it's uh, um, after effects of what they're doing at CERN. Yeah, they it's think like that they... a, a freaky episode of Fringe. Remember Fringe? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it is. You know, but it's the... See now the from what I get, from what I had learned uh, a while back uh, through actually through Simon Parks, um, who if if people don't know Simon Parks, his mother and father were both members of British intelligence, MI five and MI six, and so he was actually um, raised in that sort of. Uh, realm you know the british intelligence the secret intelligence kind of like the you know the american um, secret service or some of the black ops you know with the um, on the need to know basis and plausible plausible deniability so you don't know about the alien programs and all that shit well the um, simon parks talked about cern and how they used cern to open a portal to draw in uh, entities from the fourth dimension or negative entities. He called them reinforcements because, you know, people were discovering their capabilities as a collective group, vibrationally speaking. You know, because the thing is, is that everything, everything that exists it, it's made up of a vibrational frequency, you know, so everything is frequency. Everything is vibration because when you get down to the uh, smallest part, particle or point or, you know, the smallest piece that you can imagine, which the, the funny thing is, is that, you know, the, the Higgs boson, which is supposed to be the God particle, which is supposed to be the foundation, which is supposed to be the smallest thing that nature creates. And guess what? <laughs> There's going to be something smaller 
you know, and it's just going to continue on for infinity. Just right. like there's infinitely big, there's infinitely small. Right, it's like it never ends, yeah? Like, yeah. like we've been saying through the whole show, it's just like all the comparisons that you've given, it's just been like, wow. Yeah, and it, wow. And to think about what they're doing there, and, you know, that's why I say it's the, all this, this you know, shit going on over in Ukraine with Russia and what they're doing and, you know, Honestly, I'm I'm believing I'm leaning more towards the you know uh, Putin is destroying the the bio labs you know and a lot of that is based on who is who has come out publicly in support of Ukraine you know and you think about the people like I read an article that. Putin was claiming that they they destroyed 13 bio bio labs that were owned by the U.S. by the, the uh, Defense Department and the CIA, and that they also destroyed some other countries' facilities. Like the Germans had some some chemical facilities, some chemical research labs, but the one that I thought was uh, interesting was to find out that the Swiss actually had a nanotechnology facility in Ukraine. Now, the Swiss, if we think about it or look back on it, have been famously neutral in everything, you know, other than short of, short of an attack on their sovereign land. The Swiss are famously neutral in every conflict ever around anywhere ever, Right. Well, why is it that they would, in this particular instance, in the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, come out in support of Ukraine and offer them $19 million in aid? I told you, you don't pay a prostitute to fuck it. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you pay it to keep its mouth shut and leave. Exactly, exactly. And so now... For me, that just lends credibility to that article that Putin is over there destroying these bio labs and these other facilities that were, you know, supposedly now the American story is that, and when I say American and Russian and that, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the governments, you know, the people within the governments, because really that's where the wars generate and, you know, they originate is because these fucking assholes can't keep their mouths shut on television, and then they start talking shit, and then everybody gets their fucking dander all ruffled, and next thing you know, they're launching hypersonic fucking nuclear missiles. You know, shit travels 7,000 miles per second. Right. I mean, think about that. Or, pardon me, 7,000 miles an hour, and it has the capability of hitting uh, London in, like, you know, no time. I think they said it was like 30 minutes or some shit. You know, Russia could launch and could hit London in less than 30 minutes or three minutes or I can't remember. It was something ridiculous. You know, but supposedly this hypersonic missile launch. But the, the real trick is that when I read this article and then it was, they were talking about these laboratories, these facilities, and then I find out that the Swiss gave them money 
And it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe there's a little bit more to this. We'll come to find out that Biden had a 200-acre ranch in Ukraine. So he owns this 200-acre parcel of property that apparently was being used as part of the child sex trafficking ring in the Ukraine that the Russian Spetsnaz were in the in the process of dismantling. So these Spetsnaz, the Russian special forces, were going into Ukraine and they were searching for these bioweapons facilities and some of these other chemical facilities and you know the nanotechnology facilities. And they come across a building that is under armed guard. It's a locked building under armed guard. And so when they take out the guard and they get into the building, they discover that there's 25 to 30 children that are just blindfolded and sitting in the dark. And so they, you know, basically rescue these children and come to find out that there's this, you know, network of buildings that the Spetsnaz start running into, and it leads them to this television station. And it's the television station that was... Uh, reported in the news as being bombed by the Russians and killing civilians. Well, it turns out that these civilians in this TV station was like the communications hub for this child sex trafficking ring that was being run through uh, Biden's 200-acre ranch in Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, damn. I, you know what? And and like you said, because oh, uh, I don't I don't watch TV, but like you said, it's the it's the people going out and saying, "Oh my gosh, pray for Ukraine, uh, Putin. We need to put a bullet in him. All this extra stuff." And you, know, these are the same people that said, "Go out and get the fucking jab. Go out and yeah, get the vaccine." Exactly. And then I thought about the fact that where I come from, the word jab. Because we have this thing we call jab-jab. We do it in carnival. And jab is the French patois for the word diable, which is devil. (laughs) And we dress up like the devil. It's a pastime that we do. Right, so jab-jab is is the devil. Devil, devil. Because you're saying diable, diable, but it's in French. Jab. Okay. Yeah, but it's patois French. Yeah, so... It's the same shit. Now, you know, uh, I'm still trying to figure out who's who in all of the mythical (laughs) legends and shit. But it's like, what are the the chances, right, that certain words still translate back to the bullshit? So, you know. Yeah. But, Mike, we're going to have to leave. We're going to do this again. (laughs) We're going to do this again. And this time we're going to bring our freaking notes (laughs) Yeah. Get through it all. Well, you were, you know, you were, I mean, admittedly, in your defense, you were a bit rushed and you were a bit, you know, know. uh, a little bit of multitasking, I think, was happening. So, you know, know. and when I'm done with this, I need to go fold some fold clothes eternally, like a. Well, like you know, an indentured you, you, servant. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling, huh? <laughs> to the, for the children, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, you know that's, how that goes. That's what we say. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. say it's for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You know, but I adore you, and I can't wait to have you back. And tell them your page again is exposing. Exposing the sky lie, so it's spelled all one word. 
And, you know, admittedly, there hasn't been a whole lot of traffic lately, you know, so it's probably a little lower down the chain in the algorithm. But oh, I don't even see you on my um, on my timeline at all. Like, literally, I would have to go look for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's been a while. It's been a while since, this, you know, they released this China plague, and I knew it's it's hard for me because I want to make sure that I respond to everybody who who reaches out to me, and so sometimes it gets to be a little bit overwhelming where I'm just I'm up till two or three or four talking to somebody about something, and you know I have to be up at six a.m. to work. Then and, you tell them to tune the goddamn Helen on Tuesdays, okay, <laughs> and send their bloody questions on thewakeupradio.com. Sign up for otwtube.com. I appreciate you. And we're going to be out. Say bye, Mike. Bye, Uncle Mike. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. That's too. Flawed individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Dian. Cindy Ashley. On the wake up. Get your body to move. Won't stop till we shake the room. Yeah, just get your body to move. Why do I need to? Why do I need to? Then on the wake up play. Won't stop till they hear what we say. Yeah, then on the wake up play. Why do I need to? Why do I need to? Just get your body to move. Won't stop till we shake the room. Yeah.